the quality of treatment is poor and quite frankly, how it manifests is like being overlooked or not listened to. Mm -hmm. And in many of the stories that you'll hear from Black women or Black birthers who may have traumatic experiences or even family members who recall before like a death happened was reporting pain. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juno Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. On today's episode, I'm talking to Ayana Davidson, a certified nurse midwife and women's health nurse practitioner. Ayana created the Vaginal Chronicles, a safe space for those interested in better understanding their bodies, birth work, and heal through sharing their stories and experiences. Today, we talk about some important topics, including systemic racism and how it impacts women's health care. I really hope you enjoy. Liana, I'm so glad that you are on the podcast with me today. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you and your area of expertise? My name is Ayanna Davison. I am a certified nurse midwife. I practice in Southern California. And basically what midwifery is, for people who don't know, I am a provider. I provide healthcare to low-risk individuals across their lifespan. We say from menarche to menopause, which menarche is the beginning of your periods. Um, So anywhere in that range, and even before that too, and before people start their periods, we um, can have some conversation. Midwives do pap smears. We touch on a little bit of vaginal health, again, like I said, menopause, and then the core of it is is typically prenatal care during your pregnancy, postpartum care, and of course, birth as well. Most folks um, associate midwives with home birth, (laughs) but but we do practice in the hospital, which is what I do currently, and birth center work, we can do that as well. So pretty much anywhere you want to have a baby that's safe to do and that's in line with our scope, we're there for you. (laughs) Yes. That's what it about me. That's what it about me. <laughs> Wonderful. And then I know that your your passion is obviously in, you know, improving outcomes for black women and so I guess do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um of course here in the United States, if you don't know, <laughs> black women are three to four times more likely to die than white counterparts or white women during childbirth or shortly thereafter, including the postpartum period. Um, And postpartum can be through the 42nd day after having your baby. I think some of the studies are even extending to outwards of a year after having your baby. And so we're trying to figure out, not trying to figure out, we know what the cause is, but like we're now in a state where folks are looking at the root cause of this. Historically, um, it's been... I would say blame has been placed on a lot of Black people for their own health. Um, Mm -hmm. And while we definitely encourage folks to take charge of their health, the reason why we're seeing this point blank has to do with racism and how it is within our structures and systems and institutions here. And that is now coming to light for some people. It's something we've known as a people. I do identify as a Black woman. Should have said that in the intro. But it is something that we have known for a while because when you live that and when you see what's happening, 
and you understand the historical context of Black people and the enslaved in America, you understand how structures were designed without them in mind and specifically to make sure that we don't progress within those systems. But at any rate, that's what's happening. People are dying. Our babies are not well cared for either. And a lot of it's uh, the focus has been um, access to care while well, they're not showing up for their prenatal appointments. And if you take a look, what family stressors or life stressors do they have that prevent them from getting to access, including not um, having enough obstetrical providers within the area. We have these healthcare deserts that happen too. And then, oh, Black people aren't eating well. If you look at a Black, predominantly Black neighborhood, what kind of stores and nutritional you know, guides do they have access to? Again, same thing. And then we look at family dynamics and education, but when we come across that point, we also recognize that these stats don't change because you have a PhD or you're a medical doctor. Even last year, we saw in the news here that there was, I think she's a pediatric doctor, a Black woman who died while in childbirth as well. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, our numbers are bad across the board. And the other thing that's really frightening and disheartening is that these numbers were a bit better, like we're talking hundreds of years ago, they were a little bit better. Oh, wow. So why are we now at the space where we're still dying at these high rates? And if you look from state to state, these numbers can increase, like New York, Georgia. At one point, New York, it was 12 times more likely to die. Wow. And they're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're working on initiatives to, to get those numbers at a better place. So... That's what's happening now. And that's like a brief synopsis. <laughs> we'll dig in. We're going to dig in. Basically, you said this is racism mm -hmm. and that's the stem of it. So how does it manifest itself in health? I'd like to go back when enslaved people were on plantations or large properties doing the work, not having a choice in doing the work. <laughs> it's either that or you die or you, be, you, you become an example for the rest of um, the enslaved. In addition to that, what happens when an enslaved person gets sick? They don't get like the luxury care of a doctor who could come and see them. What was happening, they were being used as essentially guinea pigs for some of the common procedures that we do today. A lot of the anesthetics as well as obstetrics uh, procedures were practiced on Black enslaved women without their permission, consent, or sometimes any idea that this was going to happen to them and without getting like the proper anesthetic to numb them so that they don't feel pain because black people were no notoriously the, the saying was like they don't feel as much pain they're strong they don't need they don't need the help so imagine having a baby and afterwards needing a repair and not using any anesthetic with that needle and that suture and that's basic this is i'm not even getting into the more graphic the more intense procedures that were done so with that one of the concepts is that black people don't feel pain and even as just a few years ago they did surveys with medical school residents and asked them what do you know about black people in pain and their perception is that black people don't feel as much pain so when um, people are going into the hospital and in pain, they get response, they get less um, treatment. Um, the quality of treatment is poor. And quite frankly, how it manifests is like being overlooked or not listened to. Mm -hmm. And in many of the stories that you'll hear from Black women or Black birthers who may have traumatic experiences or even family members who recall before like a death happened, was reporting pain, they were having bleeding, but no one listened. They sat there for hours without management without some of the basic things that we would do 
to start care and, and assessment to see what's going on. We're speaking up and you know, people wonder why, or there's that, that saying that there's an angry black woman or they're, that they're loud, but we've been silent for so long that it's at what point do we get listened to? And this is not just in the birth world either. This also extends to other parts of healthcare, even the insurance companies too. So a lot of it is the ignoring or neglecting um, or overlooking of Black people within medicine. That's how we see it happen. It's interesting when you hear other perspectives of people, if we share some of the stories, I think for people who are not Black and have not experienced this for themselves, we hear maybe it was like a busy day or maybe like the person who was caring for them was stressed out. And it's happening too much too often and in the same ways for this just to be coincidence. I'm not negating that like somebody could have a bad day, of course. Right. But when we're seeing the extent to which people are dying at a higher rate, and America already does not have great stats for um, like perinatal outcomes, especially for infants, for a developed country, this is the worst, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We are not high up on the list, but it just shows that there is something trending here. And while before it was like, Oh, it's the health disparities and it's the preeclampsia, it's the postpartum hemorrhage. Those contribute, but like, how did we get, what was she bleeding for so long and you only now noticed and now we're at a place where we can't do anything? I've seen that occurrence happen as a healthcare worker in my career too. So these are some of the ways it manifests in, in healthcare. Now you had mentioned that that it's got you know that it was the outcomes were better a couple hundred years ago and they've gotten worse. Is there a reason for that? I think with the modernization of medicine, it's there is a, a happy medium. We can bring holistic care as well as as well as technology together, but I don't think that's being done very well. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing this happen. And again, hospitals weren't designed for black folks. This is a, a place where white folks would go to get higher level higher level of care. And then when they were introduced into black communities, and I'll speak on that in a second too, when they're introduced introduced to black communities. And there were Black hospitals, either they were shut down because racism again, or Black people were guided to the doctor is a way to go. This is the way to go. Because if a white person was getting it, it seemed it seems as if it's something that we should also strive to get to. That's the way to go. However, if we're, again, looking back historically at Black midwives, these are, again, midwives who were working in mostly the rural South, and they were the ones who were attending communities. They were there to attend the births. They were like your frontline healthcare providers for when people got sick, because again, the white doctors weren't going to make it out to those communities. And if they were, it was going to be a slow time to get there. And literally black midwives were doing all that they could, sometimes not of their own will, because because it's like it, it was a passed down tradition. And if you look at some of the stories from the Black midwives, they are they were w- working with people and seeing their healing capabilities within someone else. So let's say I was working with somebody or someone came to work with me and just to help out. It's tradition to pass it on and to also look into someone else and say, I see the midwife in you. And some people didn't want to take on that role, but did anyway because they were good at it and it's they need the, the area needed the help. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the premier app for every stage of motherhood with a 12-week trying to conceive plan and workouts, key nutrition information for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, 
plus six full video courses on birth prep, breastfeeding, newborn care, infant sleep, sleep from four to 12 months, and starting solids. The app is designed to be your number one companion from trying to conceive through your baby's first year of life. It also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises, pelvic floor prep, daily tips, and notes from me that are relevant to the exact things you are experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears and preventing the dreaded gestational Google mania, that sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. Juna is available for both iOS and Android. Just search Juna in the app store or go to Juna.co. Again, that's Juna.co. The app is completely free to try for seven days, and if you decide it's not right for you, you can cancel any time within the first week. No questions asked. Download Juna today and get started. Now, back to the show. Like, my my curiosity here is that my guess is that black communities relied heavily on midwifery, and Mm -hmm. when midwifery kind of started to... I guess when the decline, yeah. when midwifery participation started to decline, we start to see these outcomes yeah. get worse for the black communities. Is right. That- yes. Okay. So we weren't taking care of our own. Thank you for bringing me back here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. I'm with you. Not only we were taking care of our own, and while some of it is holistic based, some of it is with the evidence as well that was happening during that time. But organizations would come in, especially with the advancement of hospitals and healthcare, and say, oh, you're not doing this correctly. So now you need to go to training to learn how to midwife our way if in order for us to help um, people stay alive. Don't get me wrong, Black death and Black babies and Black moms were um, dying in childbirth because, again, it's not like I'm talking like early 1900s, you know, okay. like earlier than that. But we're still, you still have this population of midwives who are caring for their, their community to the best of their ability. So we're seeing that happen. Folks come in and say, well, you need to be doing this way, which the way you're working is not sterile. This is how to birth a baby. So that that takes over. And that's when we see, I would say, the attempt at decline of Black midwifery. And so we were phased out because after a while, it was like, you no longer have privilege to do this. People need to be seen in the hospital because that's a money make that and capitalism is really part of the core of all of this as well. So these midwives were phased out. But I will say Black midwives are very much alive and we make up a, about 6% um, nationally. And there's a lot of initiatives right now to bring um, in more midwives um, of color and Black midwives so that people can get the care that they need. Studies do show that overall, people tend to do better with healthcare providers that look like them. This is not an absolute. And that's also uh, speaking of a place from a place of privilege because not everybody has access to a Black midwife or a Black provider that looks like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, bottom line but we're trying to take initiative to to change those things so yeah this is where we see a drastic change in in midwifery in america and then our rates for black people and survival so that's where it stems from you're saying that if i'm black and i'm seeing a black provider my outcomes are probably going to be better is that true in in hospital settings too are we still seeing worse outcomes if you have a black provider i can speak specifically to like neonatal or infant health yeah yes like we are seeing better outcomes when there's a black doctor involved with neonatal care that's been studied there's reports out on that yes 
How much better? So that's helpful. But again, like I said, not an absolute. We right. still, again, there's toxicity in healthcare. And, and, and it's, I won't say it's so subtle. It's so subconscious that sometimes people don't realize it. So again, going back to the example of like pain and how people are treated, I think some people don't even realize what they're doing and what's been projected onto them because of someone else, because of the person before that, because of the person before that. And we're just carrying down this legacy of inadequate care to people. I, I say all that to say we're still, I'm still part of the system because I work in a hospital and we still have Black people who work within a system who don't even recognize that there's an issue. And so with all of that, it's it takes some unlearning and it takes some real checking in with self to acknowledge what's happening and then be a part of the solution to the problem. So when we're talking about OB care, again, like I said, no absolute. Sometimes you'll come across a Black provider who maybe doesn't provide you with the care that you need. And then you have other people outside of Black people, physicians and providers who provide exceptional care. But most often, numbers have been improving, especially in the infant space with Black providers. I'm not sure what the data is on like OB care, but again, the overall research is we tend to do better with our own. Now, getting into the infant mortality outcomes, are those pretty comparable with maternal? Actually, they are a little bit, I want to say they're a little bit, no, it's, yeah, it's it's about the same. Per thousand deaths, about 10.8 black infants will die per thousand compared to 4.6 in white people. A Pacific Islander, it's 9.4, and indigenous is 8.2, so black Pacific Islander, which is including Hawaii, which is interesting, indigenous, Mm -hmm. and then white people, and then I forget who's below that, but there's another category below two, which with less numbers. So that equates to about 2.3 times more likely to die. And that's within the first year, birth through the first year, black babies are two, Point three times more likely to die than um, white babies. This might sound like a stupid question. I imagine like not understanding pain wouldn't be the the cause. So is it access to care? Is it like what what is contributing to that? For the infant portion, the things that have been identified as contributing factors to the death include preterm birth, okay. low birth weight, and access to pregnancy, uh, good prenatal care. I know they also talked about congenital mal- malformation, so something that's mm. going on. And sometimes that's a link to prenatal care too. Did they have early right. testing? And then as a subset or like a subgroup, any maternal complications during their pregnancy as well. So those are some of the top reasons why. Again, education about pregnancy spacing, just as clinical background, If you've had a baby within a year, like two babies within a year of each other or short interval pregnancy, so meaning you got pregnant within the the year after having a baby, you have a higher risk of preterm labor happening, also increased risk for low birth weight too. And it's funny, we're having this conversation nationally about abortion and contraceptive care. If people don't have access to contraception or access to education, Mm-hmm. about contraception, then we're going to have <laughs> more mm-hmm. babies. And I'm right. not saying that you time, honestly, you time your pregnancy how you want them. With the exception of a C-section, we're really, usually we're like, it's up to you, it's your call. But the short interval pregnancy, I'm talking like 
nine months apart, which we do see. <laughs> I see it often. And yeah. I'm seeing it a lot since the pandemic. And I'm like, hey, is everybody okay? Like we got a, a lot of repeat customers, a lot of repeat yeah. customers. So people are, are apparently happy at home, but that's great. Uh, <laughs> right? But all that to say, yeah, if we have the proper education or if people feel like they could actually talk to their provider about what's happening in their lives, or even if people took the time as providers to sit and talk about what the next plans are for your fertility for your and for your family planning, this might be different. It might be different. So what is like, I, I guess, what is postpartum care and support look like for black women and how does it differ from what white women have access to? That's a good question. And that's going to be based off of demographics and location and uh, again, accessibility. So just for folks who are listening, postpartum, we're not talking about depression because uh, all too often when we say postpartum, people generally associate the mood disorder of postpartum depression or the postpartum blues. So I like to make it clear when we talk about postpartum, we're talking about the moment you've had your baby. And really, that's for years to come. Like I call it the fourth, I refer to it as a fourth trimester. And you might hear that out there too. Fourth trimester, it lasts forever. This is not a short thing. Like you are now in care and overseeing the life of a human. And that goes on for as long as they're living, as long as you're living. <laughs> yeah, I so, say once postpartum, always postpartum. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it and doesn't matter how it looks. Like even if there was a loss involved, you still have a postpartum time period. So postpartum support overall for majority of fo- folks, I'll say nationally and in general, without looking at race or anything included, it's terrible. It's terrible. very bad. You get maybe be like a six, four or six week appointment. So this is like average, everybody. You might, if you're going to a large hospital teaching facility or with more patients and not necessarily private or like a midwifery care, you will most likely be seen either at the four or six week mark and then you're on your own. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that four or six week visit is usually consists of let's look in the vagina, which I'll talk about in a second because, <laughs> and what's your plan for birth control sometimes. And then don't have sex for six weeks is what what is what people are told. And oh, you can get back to exercise as you feel ready without really taking a look at what just happened to someone's body. So when we're talking about that for black women, this again for uh, it it we're already at a bad baseline now overall. But for black women, are they returning to their postpartum appointments? They also have more risk. Again, that's included in the black maternity and morbidity profile. We're still three or four more times likely to die during this time. And what people don't understand too is postpartum, it, it's great. You had your baby, what wonderful, fantastic news. And then also you you did this thing with your body, whether it be vaginally or a C-section, you did something amazing to get a tiny little human out. And this is great. But what it is clinically and scientifically and anatomically is a very, I would say like sensitive time. You're more likely to develop like a blood clot traveling through the body. There's that risk for bleeding after. For some people, there's risk of a postpartum eclampsia or preeclampsia essentially, or blood pressure issues. And so if people are really not paying attention, which that's not that's not the responsibility necessarily of the person who just had a baby. It really lies on healthcare, but we're not doing our part. I'm gonna say that freely. But if someone's not paying attention or if people do not know how critical this time can be, 
they can end up in really bad situations. So for a Black woman, what if she doesn't make it to her appointment because she doesn't have access to a ride? Or especially now with COVID, she can't bring her child in with her or if she can't bring other children in with, in with her. So how are we addressing that issue of what's happening? Are you okay? Here are some warning things, warning signs and symptoms or even the brushing off of symptoms because I have to care for my other kids, I have to care for myself, I have to care for my partner, or maybe I'm the breadwinner in the, the home. Black women typically in the stats, we are known to have higher terminal degrees than um, black men and or a higher rate of terminal degrees than men. What if I am the breadwinner in the house? My thought is like, when do I go back to work? Some mm-hmm. people really are, and they have to because I, maybe I'm not in a financial spot where I can afford to be off of work for more than two weeks. And if you've ever been around somebody who's just had a baby, they should not be going back to work after two weeks. Like, honestly, we shouldn't be going back to work after six to eight, but that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. So this is what we're looking at for Black women. And again, you throw in a blood clot and chest pain and shortness of breath, and she's coming in at the last minute. And then you go into a facility where someone couldn't be bothered with a Black person. She's going to die. That's where we're at. So it looks similar to like care during pregnancy on the other side of things as well. Are you a breastfeeding mom needing to boost her milk supply or a nursing mom wanting to maintain good milk supply during your pregnancy? Well, we are excited to introduce you to GoLacta, an all-natural galactagogue and superfood. Many moms and health professionals around the world are calling the miracle supplement. 100% made from nature's own galactagog, their pure moringa leaves are farmed by Golacta out in the Philippines. Vitamin C, calcium, potassium, and protein. Moringa leaves pull double duty. They're both plant-based superfood and a galactagog. So both moms and babies will reap the nutritional benefits of the moringa leaves. Added to being an amazing superfood, Golacta is the ideal supplement for nursing moms that is not only clinically proven safe to use while pregnant, but because of its superfood qualities, it also provides moms and babies the key nutrients they need for healthy living and growth. I wish I knew about this during my breastfeeding journeys, but I'm just glad I get to share this with you today. You can buy yours today from the GoLacta website, www.golacta.com. Available in easy-to-use capsules or in a powder so you can incorporate it into some of our amazing smoothie recipes in the app. Use code capital G-L-J-U-N-A-21 for 15% off your first order. Once again, you can order today on their website and use the code G-L-Juna21 for 15% off your order. It's interesting. I've had two friends with postpartum uh, preeclampsia and nothing to me is scarier than that because I do think that people are doing a terrible job of communicating what to look out for for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, my, one of my friends, thankfully, one of her friends had said, Hey, if your vision, like, she's like, I knew one symptom and was like, Oh, and then she's and my mom had a blood pressure cuff at my house. And so I used it and my blood, but that's a, those are a couple things that had she not known that, she would have been like, I must be tired. And then and then it's too late. And so yep. I just – I can't imagine how many people that's happening to. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. Yeah, it's very scary. And, and I get chill – like when you uh, – my body is doing things over time as I age. I recognize like when I relate to something, I get a visceral response. So I just got goosebumps when you said people don't realize how severe this is because I've been in situations where – 
like they're coming back with blood pressures of 200 over 100 something and they've been sitting for hours trying to get to be seen before this happens we've seen seizures and while pregnant we've seen seizures postpartum and we don't do a very good job like you said too about alerting people to what to look out for the other thing is with blood pressure sometimes in pregnancy you can feel fine like sometimes you feel okay when it's getting severe, that's when you get the symptoms. Like when you begin to have the visual changes, the headaches that don't go away, the chest pain, shortness of breath, or epigastric pain, which is like pain up at the top of your belly that's not related to your baby or your uterus. When you begin to get those things, we're already in a zone that's not. I've had people leave my care because they're like, I don't think I'm preeclampsia. I feel fine. Or their blood pressures are just, just starting to creep. And they're like, I feel fine. I feel fine. And it's okay. But at some point you may not. And at that point, it might be too late. So I, my like, it, there is no doubt, obviously, the numbers are like that. What is the numbers are awful. We need to do better. It's like in the short term, what are some things that you think will make a difference in improving these outcomes? Man, there's so much to be done. I honestly feel this is my standpoint right now. We're not in a place of rebuilding the system we're in a place of we need to break it all the way down and start over start from scratch but that's not an easy feat and it's not something that's most likely going to happen so what can we do in the interim so there's quite a few points if we're talking from the patient standpoint know your provider get to know your if you're a black person it's really important to ask the hard questions and i say hard but they shouldn't be that difficult either as simple as there's a crisis going on with my community do you know about it number one and number two what are you doing to actively make sure that i stay safe during my pregnant pregnancy and my postpartum time frame as a black person asking that question and that's a basic part two to start at. So having those d discussions, making sure that Black people don't go into the ho hospital or healthcare spaces alone, which COVID has presented a very big problem with that because the hospital I work at, we recently, in the beginning of the year, we had people coming in now with a partner to the office. Right. And then we were extending visitation to two people instead of, and now because the numbers have increased and I, I want people to know, like we see pregnant people who have COVID because the, these numbers, and it's not good. We, these numbers have increased and we've gone back down to one person visitation in the hospital and then no one in the clinic. So it makes it very difficult for someone who's already at risk, at a higher risk of things happening, to go into a space by them. So what has been happening on you know, some of the the more political side of things is the outcry or the need for doulas to, to be more accessible. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see companies are now, I think, like Dove has a grant for people who are seeking doula care, who identifies BIPOC and allowing them to get financial system with assistance with that. We have some programs locally that are specifically de designed to train black doulas so that they can also go and serve black women or black people, black birthers who require care or need care. And if you're getting if you're getting the care of a doula, it's important to find out what they're doing during the pandemic. You can ask them questions like, you know, about, about vaccination and exposure, that's your conversation with them. But ideally, you want to know some doulas will have privileges in hospitals so that they can come in. And it, in addition to your partner or your support person, you can have that doula care with you. So not going into the hospital is important. Uh, the other thing is recognizing when it's time to change a provider. 
Right. And again, that's a place of privilege. So not everybody has access to multiple people in a practice mm-hmm. and or access to another maybe, practice. Yeah. yeah, another practice. Our healthcare system is real, really sketchy. It would be nice if we had something across the board for pregnant people because this is a re- reoccurring healthcare quote unquote condition. It's a this is a space in life that people are going to be in and we're not there's nothing we could do to slow down birth like really and truly if, if you think about it like people are going to populate the earth just as they have been doing but nas- nationally we should have a set standard of care and in different states even accessibility to midwifery care like depending on the state that you go in you might not be able to have a, a home birth if you're if you qualify for one because it's a leap so there's that when we're talking about improvements within the system itself we need more Black folks in so many different places. So the work to change all these numbers and change the stats and change the condition of healthcare doesn't rest doesn't rest solely on one individual, one group of people, or one type of work. It is it, there's multi dimensions to this and mo- multiple layers. If we're starting early, which we can talk about academia. People don't even know what midwives are. And honestly, it's getting tiring. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not a luxury because some people who, who think of midwives, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, for example, like a star had a baby at home, like a celebrity had a baby at home and they had a midwife. So some people are under the impression that like only celebrities can afford can afford midwifery care. That's not true. The cost of it may be higher, but there are places where you can go and get midwifery care that are covered by insurance. They're few and far between, but there's a possibility. And then were you going to say something? I I find that to be the one of the more obnoxious things too. For the person, it's more expensive to have a midwife because insurance companies won't necessarily cover it or will only cover a portion of it. However, if I had given birth in a hospital – it would be 98% covered. Right. And it, although, and by the way, the cost of the insurance company is $100,000 more than it would have been had they just covered the I midwife's cost. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like all these things make it difficult to like just contribute to the way that, that it <laughs> like how it function. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it, it, it makes it very tricky for someone to get the type of care they're looking for. So there might be someone who's a great candidate for a home birth or birth center and maybe is close by to that midwife, but they can't necessarily afford it out of pocket. We're talking costs, bare minimum, if we're talking the state of California, anywhere from six, let's, we could say 5K to upwards of that. Yeah. Excuse me. So someone might not be able to afford all of that off the bat. And in addition, if depending on what type of insurance they have, again, the percentage is going to be very low. And then when you're looking at on it from the level of a provider of the midwife, they're barely getting compensation from insurance companies when people do go through that route. So if there's like a transfer to the hospital during a home birth, like they may not get paid, which it's like the level of care that we're offering outside of the hospital is by far, it surpasses what you're going to get inside. People with private insurance, you might be able to spend 30 to 45 minutes with your provider. People who are outside of that, 20 minutes, if that, at your appointment. And if you're a first-time parent, oh, you need more time than that because you have no idea what's about to happen. And so we really are in this really bad place where things could be a lot better. But going back to this quote-unquote solutions, acknowledging or teaching folks and children from early like what midwifery is and that birth doesn't just have to happen in a hospital, I think that's important to understand your options, especially as someone who can have a baby 
Like, if you go back in your head, think about your sex ed class. What did you really learn? Did they talk about birth or did they talk mostly about STDs and prevention and pregnancy prevention? They don't talk about what actually happens to someone's body when it gets pregnant. And I think when they get pregnant, and I think if we started educating earlier on, you're, you walk into something more informed. Um, so there's that. So teaching early, but then also when we're talking about education within academia, we don't have a lot of black doctorates. We don't have a lot of black, again, black, black midwives to teach and to pass down information. And I actually said this yesterday, in conversation yesterday, ask me if during my um, midwifery training, and I'm a certified nurse midwife, which is a little different from like a licensed midwife or certified professional midwife, but ask me if within my training, if we got any um, education about black midwifery or BIPOC midwifery or Latina midwifery about traditional midwives, the other types of midwives, what they're doing. And the answer is no, I did not get any of that. Like, no, I didn't receive any of that. It's important for our people to be within the system. And again, uh, this is not an absolute, but at least have the availability and accessibility to learning about the historical roots of midwifery. And then when we get to those levels, making sure that we have professors and preceptors, people who are willing to teach clinically and didactically about the, the process as well. Same goes for medicine. There are not a lot of black doctors nationally. The percentages are low. I want to say the last I saw was like 5%. And that, that oh, wow. Yeah. It's I, that might be related just to pediatricians. Don't quote me co you know, okay. on it, but I know it's a low percentage. And then not only is there an issue getting people or people being accepted to programs because the want is there. If you go into the community, sometimes these children growing up want to become physicians, but what social factors and obstacles are they facing in getting mm -hmm. into that care or, or getting into those programs? And then sustainability. Can they afford it in the long run? If you don't have a grant or scholarship and you don't come from a family law or has enough to send somebody to school and then medical school, mm -hmm. you're accruing debt and someone's looking at that long term, it, it doesn't seem like there's light at that end of that tunnel. So sustainability of physicians, midwives, nurse practitioners through their program and then through through the first few of training as well. So there's that point. We need more black researchers. They are out there. Again, navigating through academia and research can be a beast if you're a black person. And we need people to go and do research in our communities because America does not have a really good history with research on black folks with their permission, with or without their permission. They historically, like I mentioned earlier, have done experimentation without consent or without people really fully understanding what's happening to them. So the idea that Black people can go out and do their own research with amongst their own people, which is might have a little bit better level of trust, and then, and then return that information. Because what's happening is the information is taken. They'll look at us as specimens. They'll do their data. They'll write up the report. But then we don't get the, we don't have the findings. Right. So to do the research go out there, interact with the community, and then bring back what they found so that they know this is what's happening with our people is very critical. So those are a few things. And then policy change. So we have the Momnibus Act, which is basically a set of several bills. And these are basically pathways to hopefully getting better care across the country for Black people. And there's, if you like Google or um, look up the Black Maternal Health Momnibus Act, 
it lists out like what its objectives are. I can give you a few here. Funding is one to organizations that are improving maternal health outcomes and then developing and diversifying the perinatal workforce. So that we have this care that I was talking about, that look care that looks like you, getting care from someone that looks like you. Also maternal mental health, because again, if you can imagine how bad the postpartum time frame is as a Black person, can you imagine adding on a mood disorder on top of that? Right. And that's that's horrific. And then incarceration, I won't go through them all, but it's definitely something looking to look into. So those are maybe some larger pods of things that you can do. Of course, financially donating to places and birth centers that are Black-owned. I'm being forthcoming. I've been hiding it for a little while. Not hiding it, but I've been just not speaking about it. But my plan, my vision, my goal before I even entered midwifery school was to open up a birth center. And I had not stepped in one. And that's still my plan. And I'm working hard towards getting that done. And I don't expect it to be done overnight. But like right now, I think across the nation, there are 13 Black-owned. Oh, and wow. That's... that's not enough. No. (laughs) In the hundreds that exist, there's 13. So I've been taking my time talking to other Black midwives who either own or have been a part of the practice. And that's my goal. So supporting people who are doing that, because again, sustainability of these healthcare centers is critical for us to continue to provide superb and excellent above average care to Black people who are more than deserving. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's do you do you feel hopeful that in our world like the time that we're here we'll see significant change? I go back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is like a lot of heavy information, so I hope whoever is listening, you know, take your breaths. It's a little late to say this, but take your breaths between this because it'll be like a loaded, like a loaded discussion. But I go back and forth between hope and like hopelessness. I'm hopeful with what I've seen amongst our community. Yes, I think I also was taught by people who, and surrounded by maybe some older black midwives who never even thought that we would get here where we are now. So like that kind of offers a glimmer of hope, but then also look how long it's taking to get to this point. But I think with the development of like social media and of course things are now like easily recordable and we're seeing things for what they are. Like people didn't believe us before and that's the point of truth. But now that you have visual (laughs) and you have audio, it's, oh, these things were really happening to you. And we're like, yes, this is what we've been saying for the longest time. So it's like, it's I go through waves. And what really is the focus for me is, again, preserving the legacy of Black midwives. So letting people know who they were, what they did, what happened, and why they were trying, it was tried to phase them out, but then also preserve my own people and my own legacy as well. In that making sure that I am creating something that the community can actually use and can actually make effective change. I'm one person, I can't do it all. And that I wasn't able to say that two years ago. I felt like, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. I can't Mm -hmm. do the research. I can't do that and still be at a birth and still be teaching like multiple things can happen at one time but you can't be all the things to make the change it has to really be all of us so today i would say is a hopeful day i feel in conversation people the light turns on a little bit and so that that makes me happy and then there are days where i see what we're just talking about like these disparities and the injustices happen within the system and it makes me less um less hopeful about 
our system itself. And also, again, like I said, I recognize I work as part of the system. And every day is a day and an opportunity for me to unlearn something that may, may not be helpful. So it goes in waves. And today's a hopeful crest of a wave. <laughs> Good. Today is, today is what matters, right? Yeah. Short of awareness. And I, I feel like you know, this podcast is one of those things. You know, I hope all of my listeners have learned something. I know I certainly have. Is there anything that the white community can do to like the who like who is not an OB, who is not a midwife, like who is not in who are just people who are pregnant and listening to this podcast? Is there anything that we can do to help? Yeah, absolutely. So one is believe black women, black people when they speak. I do firmly believe again there are multi there are different people who can contribute to the work that needs to change. Again, it can't rest solely on one person or one group of people. But mm -hmm. when the group of people is speaking and these are the people who are suffering from certain things, it's important for us to be listened to. So please listen and believe us when we say something. So that's one. So sharing this information is another helpful point as well. So if you learn about something, not only share, but then also begin to speak up. So yeah. if you're noticing something around you and Maybe for a long time, you didn't see how detrimental it could be to the system or to to a, a group of people speak up. And I, I get it. I understand because sometimes speaking up doesn't offer safety. There's, you know, it can be real fear with that because what's, what might be the retaliation? What might be the outcome or the response? But if we don't start to make these small changes, then overall people, again, will not begin to hear the stories and understand what's truly going on so sharing information and also speaking up and then also invest if you have the funds like mm -hmm. it's important again sustainability we can do this work we can't do it for free and the more i talk with some of the midwives in close circles or even larger circles we're providing exceptional care if you're getting care from them even within the hospital system a lot of times people are like you love what you do and i was like absolutely mm -hmm. and they're like it shows and you know why I might run late. I tell people this all the time. I might run late at the appointments. But if you come with your questions, I'm going to sit down and answer them. And a lot of people are not getting that. Right. And that's just, that's unacceptable to me. When I first started as a, as a nurse, it, it was like, imagine if this was your yourself or imagine if this was your family member in this position, how would you want to be treated? That's how I approached my care. And it's, the same goes here. Imagine if that's your sister. Imagine if that's your brother or friend. Like you want to make sure that they get the most exceptional care. It's important for us to acknowledge that too. But then going back to all of that, investing in these, uh, these mediums to really sustain black health and black communities, like finances are a part of it. Like money is a part of it. And many people have to close down shop or join other groups or course change because they don't have the finances to to stay open. If we have that cushion, I'm not saying that people have to pay our way all the time, but if we have that cushion and less worry to, you know, or less things to worry about, we don't have to pick up a thousand other things to try to compensate to make sure that black health is sustained. And in doing so, like I know so many people who also suffer health problems. That's another big thing for black healthcare providers and black, specifically black midwives. We're not taking care of ourselves because we have a thousand other things to do to make sure we're sustaining our community. And that's not healthy either. If, if you offer services, if you're like into more of the, the body work, breath work, or even holistic practices that could possibly help sustain people, 
our adrenal glands are shut down. They're shot. If you work in that field, reach out to a black provider. See if they can use a massage or a chiropractor adjustment. See if they can use some yoga or sound bath. What can you do to help out either financially or maybe energy exchange or compensation? Um, so those are the, the few things. But really stopping to listen to a black person and hear their story that's that's a pretty powerful moment. Thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast to share all this information with us. I, I really appreciate it. Of course, Sarah. Of course. Thank you for having me. I do want to say too, because if there's like a black birther or someone interested in getting pregnant, I know all of this sounds very scary and all of this can sound overwhelming. And do I ever, do I even want to be pregnant or I'm pregnant now and now look what I'm facing? Mm -hmm. I want people, everyone to know that there is also successful, happy, beautiful, amazing black birth. Like we, I see that often too. So we're not just stuck in a place of these daunting statistics. It's important to know what's happening, but it's also important to know that like on the other side, there are some really great outcomes and there are people working really hard to make sure those keep going. Why don't you tell people where they can find you because you're a wonderful resource. <laughs> sure. You can finally mo find me. You can find <laughs> me mostly on Instagram at The Vagina Chronicles. I also have a website that is under construction. You wouldn't be able to tell right now, but I'm hoping by end of the year we should be adjusted here. And that's www.thevaginachronicles.org. I'm not a .com, I'm an org. I'm creating some educational content that will hopefully be available either end of year or um, early next year. So people who are looking to become pregnant or it's been a long time since they've had pregnancy, had a pregnancy, this is geared towards you. And if you need to email me, it's Iana at thevaginachronicles.org as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, that's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.